0: And the music and everything, and loud. Is it loud? Raise your hands, don't be scared. All right, it, be, it should be too loud because we're not done creating all the acoustics in the building. Uh, how many like the look of it? You like the look? You want to stay this way? I don't know what you, you, you guys are all looking at faith right now. Sound isn't right, the look isn't right yet, correct? Um, we still got a lot to do as far as what we want in um, our color schemes and things of that nature. So we got a lot more to do to get this done correctly, a lot more. And and what that is going to take is everybody's involvement in getting it done, amen? So I need your help. We need, we're $11,000 short to finish this. And if we don't get it, it stays this way. I've got it. Pastor Art coming in July. I've got Pastor Burt from South Africa coming in September. i got Wendy Treat coming in November. Now, I don't think we as a family want to have our house looking this way, do we? No, we don't. So what we need to do is we need to do our very best to make sure that it gets done. And we're very limited on time because, again, Pastor Art's coming in the end of July. Pastor Bert, Petorius, first-time visitor. Everybody wants their house looking good when they get a first-time visitor. Pastor Art, we can probably get away with. <laughs> you know, he's the, he's the kind of guy that you can say, yeah, go ahead and sleep in that room. And it isn't even done up yet. Because, you know, he's family. But Pastor Bert, he's coming here for the first time from South Africa. He's going to be ministering ministering to us in multiple days, uh, helping us do an awesome an amazing transformation that's going to be taking place. But he's coming, and that's in September. So we have to have our house in order. And then, you know, to bring, to bring Pastor Wendy Treat in, I mean, that, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a really big deal. And so it, it's got to be at the level that a woman views things. Men can view things in a whole different thing, you know. You can have a dirty underwear, dirty socks laying around, you know, some dirty dishes, and they're like going, ah, home. But women, their viewpoint's a little bit different, like, no, we got to take care of this stuff. So what I need is I need your help in this. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, you know, um, I I help out. I I give my time. Your time ain't going to buy nothing. Your time isn't going to help me do this. Your time isn't going to help me uh, get all the materials I need. Thank God that you're going to give me some of your time, but that isn't going to do anything. And you need to be able to help by sewing into your house. Amen? And that's the only way that we're really going to get this thing accomplished and done for. So help us take care of our house. Amen? So if you need an envelope for your giving, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, Lift it up in the air. Raise it like you just don't care. All right, and just it's just a regular offering, so it goes into the building fund for what we're doing here. But I need your best. I need you to help out as good as you can. Okay, let's get this done. You might be thinking eleven thousand is a lot. I didn't ask you to give eleven, right? I didn't. I didn't go to you and say give me eleven thousand dollars. I said family. So if we all give our best, we'll meet this easily. All right. We'll meet it easily and take care of us and get it all done the way it needs to be done. Because it's just more than just this as well. we got to put some money into the children's church. Um, we've got to do some things in there that's going to help in the youth ministry. So it, it's not just in here I'm talking about. And we need to be able to help in um, the the things that we want to do in those other rooms to help cool those rooms down, change some lighting, because the lighting, it really isn't good for those rooms and for those kids so a lot of stuff involved in this and it's very inexpensive to be honest with you uh, of what we're trying to do and that involves your guys' sacrifice and time it involves keeping the cost down by you helping in this amen praise god guys are you collecting now or what we keep missing this first row for some reason Let's go ahead and hand him a bucket and they'll pass it down. He's a rookie, he's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, hey, notice the worship team's got these shirts on and stuff. That's pretty good. What's on there? A guitar? Who picked the guitar? How come it's not a cross? Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You know, in the, in the area of trusting God, it's, it's vital for your lives to understand that, to be honest with you, you're not going to be in a position of freedom or rest or peace uh, until you fully trust God. I mean, it's impossible to live a life on this earth without um, being in a position of faith. And faith is, as I believe that all things are possible. I believe that God is going to take care of me. My faith actually is just based upon what God says. So it's almost a simple place to be because I'm literally just in a position of saying, God, this is, this is yours. It's your word. Your word says this. Now, my place is to believe it and to act on it, but ultimately it comes down to him. I didn't write this. I didn't, he didn't ask me what I thought. He put in what he wanted to put in there. So it, it, it's almost, if you look at it in the right way, it, it becomes very simple in life to live based upon what God said he'll do for you. Trust him. Trust him with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding because when you do lean to your own understanding, you acknowledge your ways and your ways direct your path. I've seen too many people really screw their lives up doing things their own way. And your own way is always based upon your, where'd the offering go? You guys, man, what happened? Am I in Love Life Church, or what is, this is like a brand new church. We don't know what to do here. Um, dude, see my knee. I need, to, I need to get the ushers together and yell at them for a while, because this is getting bad. Oh, my gosh. Praise God. We got. You got to pray over an offering. You don't just Take it in the bag and hide it. You know what they were? They were counting it. <laughs> no, let's just make sure they're doing their thing right. Father, in the name of Jesus, we operate our lives in faith, and that is the only way we can to be successful in this life. So we give by faith. And Father, I pray for those that have uh, sown in their finances into the house, into your house, to make your house right. I mean, I don't have to pull scripture, scripture's clear. Take care of the house of God. Make sure everything's in good working condition, in good order. So we do. We do it by faith. All the seed that was sown, I believe God for greater multiplication on the seed sown so that when the time comes, this is not an issue of, of, of any sacrifice. It's a simple issue of doing what's right and what's good. So, Father, I believe for the increase, the multiply of the seed sown. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You might be saying, well, man, it would be awesome if we have millions in the bank. I'll still take an offering. I, I, it, I'll still take an offering. The point is, is it's not about having money in the bank, which, you know, is, is a beneficial thing. It's the ability to operate in faith. If you don't give offerings, you don't have increase. That's just what it comes down to. You ought to also look at it in this manner. If I got millions in the bank, that means you guys are prospering. So you ought to be looking at more in the nature of, yeah, let's get millions in the bank, so I'm prospering, so I'm able to give into the kingdom of God in that manner. Like I said before, it, it should be. I believe it, in the true sense of what we should be doing as a group of believers. I believe we should be making the ma- most biggest impact in areas of ministry that any tur- anybody could do, and that is the ability to influence. And so when, we, when there is a need or when there is something that we need to do, we're able to do it at a, at a big impacting way, not at a scrounging, try to get up every little dollar we have way. I believe we need to be able to make impact, impact in everything we do. And impact is as not being able to. This is my feeling. I, I don't. I believe. Praise God. It's important to be able to send people into other countries to be able to impact lives. But I believe sending one or two is good. I believe sending ten or twenty is great. Don't you? And see, I, that's where we should get to. We should get to that place where we're we're doing things in that nature. I believe that sending people in the church's name in ministry purposes that it shouldn't be up to the people to raise their money to get to it. It should be up to us to be able to pay and send them. I believe that's the, that's the best level of church operation. I, it is. It's the right way. I believe because the church for so many years has been backwards in this that that's why we have so many different ministries that are out this is this is what I've seen, and this is over. You know, uh, you know we're getting close to thirty years of ministry. Is, is that you have different uh, ministry positions like evangelists and and teachers and all these different ministries that work outside the church, and because they work outside the church, they don't have accountability, and their ministry becomes their job. So. They have to not only operate in the sense of, I've got to go do ministry, but I've got to make my bills, pay my bills. So then the accountability, just the word of God, goes down a little bit. Then outside of a church covering or authority, they now have another part that goes down because they're out there alone. They don't have to submit to anybody. So that is negative as far as the kingdom of God. Now, I don't blame people for doing that. What I do is is I look at the church and and say, how come we didn't take care of that? How come we didn't take care of the evangelists, the teachers, and all all the different ministry gifts and be able to take care of it in the church to where they're not trying to raise money to pay a bill. They're going out into other ministries out to the world and not worrying about are they going to be able to feed their family this week? And that's the way the church should be functioning. Now, that's not my problem. That's the church's problem. So if we get to the place where we should be in in prosperity and, and more than enough, just exactly what the Word of God says, the church in itself is going to pattern after the people. so it's your fault. It is. It's all your fault. You guys should have more than enough and so much increase that you're not trying to figure out how to feed your family. You're the picture. And when you are doing what God's word says, it's a personal Bible. This isn't a Bible just to me, though I think it's personally written to me. But anyway, that's a whole different story. But the point is, is when you are operating in the level that God wants you to operate, you'll have more than enough which then will give the kingdom more than enough. It's not the kingdom and then you. That's that's the bad training we have from the world. That's the mindset that the government owes me something. My job owes me something. The church owes me something. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's a bad mindset. That's a mindset of poverty, failure, and lack. And, and you, can, you notice this when you go out and you pay attention to the world. My wife and I notice this. When you look at the position of poverty and lack, you'll see the highest level of crime, the lowest level of customer service. I mean, it's ugly when you look at poverty and lack. You go to places that, that um, cater to those that have money, you'll have the best customer service. You go to places that cater to people with lack, You'll get the worst customer service and frowns and attitudes, and people don't care. And we've been to, we went just yesterday, we went to a place that has that, that would be considered a prosperous company in good areas. You go in, and the people are smiling and take care of you. We went to another place in the middle of ghetto land, and the place was, you know, the, the air-conditioned swamp coolers. I mean, it caters to those that don't have money. And every person there was like this. Every worker was like, i got to help you. Why should I help you? And you would think they'd be the ones that would be the most happiest, that they got a job, that they're being able to make money, but they're not. And that's what poverty and debt does. That's not where you want to be. No one in here, that's not where you want to be. So we've got to get hold of this life. This whole teaching on rest actually is God trying to get us, his people, to get to a place of realizing that he took care of it all. I'm amazed at how here we have a picture or a type of of, of church, of believers, of Christians in the picture of Israel, and we see the struggles, the warfare, the, the ugliness of a life where they're not trusting God, ultimately where they sabotage their lives. To where another generation has to go in and take what rightfully belonged to the first. And so the whole key of God delivering from Egypt was to get them to a place of of abundance. That's it. It was God's heart. And it was so powerful in his life. It's so powerful heart. God's heart was so powerful in wanting this to take place that He was doing everything he could to get them to realize that this is is where you want to be. This is where you need to get to. And they continued to just attack the Lord, continued. He'd take care of them, and they'd throw a fit and whine and cry. He'd take care of them, and they'd throw a fit, whine and cry. And they continued to be this way. And God was taking care of them. That's what amazes me. They were being taken care of. Their clothes didn't run out, their sandals didn't wear down, they had food every day, and they still threw a fit. Isn't that amazing? On their way to living a life of abundance. And now we have the Christians live that are pretty much living it the same way. Where we're in lack, we're not making our we're not making ends meet. We're 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 doing every everything we can to miss out on what God wants for our lives. And so what we have to do is we have to start realizing what this Bible is trying to tell us and get hold of this inheritance that Jesus died for, for us to have. We don't have it if Jesus doesn't go to the cross. It doesn't belong to us. It still belongs to Israel. But Jesus, through the will of the Father, through the truth of the word of God, designed it so that every person on this earth could take advantage of what God promised, that every person on this earth could have this covenant which he gave to Abraham. And so now it's still God doing the same thing and trying to get us to get hold of this thing and to realize that it's our responsibility to trust him, to believe him, to take care of our lives. God isn't screwing up your life. Your choices are. That's the truth. It's not God. And we need to understand that. It's not him messing things up. It's him trying to get you not to make that choice. It's him trying to get you not to go in that direction. God's doing, he's done everything he can to to make this life a life that can be so wonderful. We just got to believe him. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We're, we're so focused in on the woe is me and the pity parties. And there's nowhere in the word that that's going to get you into a life of victory. If I communicate, oh, poor baby, God loves you. Oh, baby, God loves you. That ain't going to do anything for you. But if I can tell you, man, God loves you, and I understand that you're dealing with an issue, but you got to get up. And you've got to start fighting. That's when you're going to have victory. That's the only time you're going to have victory. To me, to acknowledge that you're having a hard day, what is that going to do? Nothing. Nothing at all. We all have hard days. We all have challenges. We all have difficulties in life. The key is, is what are you going to create out of it? I'm going to tell you right now. Every difficulty is defined by your attitude. It's either going to be a test or a temptation. That's it. When you come into a difficulty in life, a challenge in life, a pressure that comes before you, it becomes one or two things. And again, defined by your attitude. So that challenge can be either a test. A test always makes you better. It always does. It makes you understand what you don't know and what you do know, and that's all it's for. It's never to hurt you. But a temptation that's produced out of your attitude will always make you go backwards. And in that, you'll always grumble and complain. So the temptation and the failure to follow through with what you need to do in the the time of a challenge in life presents your attitude to go backwards in life. And did you know that people that are disgruntled, that have offenses, attitudes, they're always looking for a scapegoat. There's always, they always look for someone to blame in life. If someone that is walking right and correctly, they come before a challenge in life and that test tests them. And it says, how much do you know? Or what? how much do you not know? And when you take the test and you fail that test, someone that's walking the life of living the test recognizes that they just need to get the right answers to have success. That's it. It doesn't define them. It gets them to understand that I need to study more. That's all a test does, right? Aren't you guys, do you guys understand what a test does? That's all it's for. Now I know there's a negative connotation to a test when you fail a test. It's almost like you blame the test, bad test, bad test. Or blame the teacher, bad teacher, bad teacher. But what was the test for? Something that you didn't know? Or is it something that you should have known? So actually, what is a test? A test is to determine how much you're listening, how much you're studying. That's all it is. God will never, first of all, he doesn't test or try or tempt anyone. But the point in life is this, is that everything that is in life that creates a challenge or pressure in your life is not going to be allowed by God in the sense of, is it something that you have no clue of? He will always protect his children. But in the position of a test in life, which they're there and they will always be there, God is always going to be in a place of protecting. So the enemy creates these things in life. The world creates them just through the process of living in life. And how we react to them determines what we're going to do in life. So we're either going to look at the challenge in the right manner, and that is, is if I have success in it, fine. If I fail in it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't define me as a failure. I do not let... the the storms of life define me in that manner. I'm going to overcome every situation in life. But if I do not, if I quit, if I back away, that in itself is defining me. And it's my choice. It isn't you, it's me. I'm making that choice. How are you going to define yourself? Are you going to look at the storm you're in, the situation you're in, and work through the success and victory or are you going to allow that to push you backwards? Again, your attitude is going to determine where you go in life. The the picture we have in this group is, is that they allowed the lack that they thought they saw to be the negative in their life. There was never any lack. They created it based upon their past. They were brought up as slaves. Remember, they were in slavery for 400 years. So they have a mindset of what? Someone needs to take care of me. And then God puts himself in a position of taking care of them, but it's not what they're used to. They're not used to this. They're not used to being taken care of with no works. They're used to having works to be taken care of. They're slaves, right? Egypt didn't feed them and take care of everything they need because they didn't do anything. They took care of what they needed and allowed them to have what they had so that they could do more works. And that's what religion and that's what the world produces. When you go into the kingdom, it's not about works per se to receive something. It's about God's grace that's already given it to you. So you've already, you already have the abundant life. God told Joshua, he said this, Wherever you put your foot on, whatever you tread your feet on, wherever you walk in this this promised land, wherever you go, I have already given it to you. So the key is to realize that this is something that you already have in life. What does it do for me? Well, if this is a perpetual rest, this is a rest that is continued. It's not a one-day rest. It's a life of rest. God is telling me, if you read the the first approximately 12 chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses goes through this whole teaching on where they've come from. He goes through the beginning of Egypt and goes all the way through, and he explains everything about where they are at that point. The first 12 chapters. And you know what this whole thing, again, is all about? People living in the promised land you need to understand how important that is to God. There are so many things that you can look at in the Old Testament that, that relate to the law and commands and things of that nature. But ultimately, you know what this whole thing comes down to is us in Christ living the way God always wanted us to live, a blessed life. Now, define that, life. Because it isn't just about a bank account. It's about your marriages, your families, raising your children, your jobs, your future. Everything in life, that blessed life, pertains to that success. And God is wanting us to realize, listen, how much are you going to struggle when it's already been given to you? I I mean, in life, how much struggle really is there? When God is taking care of your needs, my God shall supply all your needs. Then why is it difficult? Because we're doing our thing. We are doing it, not allowing God to. And when we allow God to, the increase will come. It not, it's not might come, I'm telling you. It will come. It will come. It will come. It will come. Now, did Joshua just have to step in the land and then everybody fell over dead and that was theirs? No. But faith demands that we go forth in action, dependent on God, believing and trusting in him. There is an enemy in this worth. There is an enemy. There was an enemy in the promised land. And the enemy is, t- is telling us, you can't have this. It belongs to me. What does the devil do? You can't have this. It belongs to me. Do you understand? See, it's it's the same exact picture. We're to destroy and push out the enemy. How aggressive are you in your life right now to the things that are trying to rob and steal from you? I mean, honestly, how aggressive are you? Would you allow a thief to come, you know, knock at your door and say, hey, I'm, I need to come in and take everything you have. And by the way, I might hurt some of you as well. And you open the door and go, sure, take, you know, take your time. Would you do that? Anybody in here, would you do that? Would you just say, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds like a good deal. We can work in that. No, you wouldn't. Then why are we doing it in the spiritual realm? We're letting come in and take things. And, and we're almost, it's almost like we even, you know, help him carry things out. We're like going, well, get your side. Okay, there you go, devil. All right, there's that. Good. All right, you want me to put a blankie around so it doesn't hurt anything? I mean, it, it's, it's something that we've got to get aggressive in as far as our lives right now. God says you need to make sure this is a priority in your life. You need to put full honor and reverence into entering into my rest. That means you've got to honor rest. How many of you really honor it? And and I understand that the concept of rest, again, is is a day off. But how many of us really honor that my God shall meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? How many of you honor that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. How many of you honor that? How many of you honor that he has set the captives free? That you're free indeed. How many of you honor that? Think about it. And I want you to really think about this stuff. How many of you are honoring that? That you're looking at that and you're saying, this is just beautiful and it's great and 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 I just thank you, Father, and I place full confidence in you, and I'm just so grateful for what you have done. That's what we should be doing in our lives. What battle are you dealing with in life? A battle of lack? A battle of health? A battle, what is it? What is the battle that you're dealing with? You need to honor God. How do you honor? Start praising Him. Start thanking Him. Start getting in a position of realizing that I am not going to allow the lack to dictate to my life. I'm not going to allow the sickness to dictate to my life. Everybody in here has either been attacked or is going to be attacked in some way in your life on earth. You're going to have attacks. You need to know how to deal with them right now. Don't wait for the attack. It doesn't work that way. You don't listen well when you've got pain in your body. You don't listen well when you got creditors calling and, and mail just con- constantly hitting your, hitting your doorstep saying, You got to pay, you got to pay. It's not, it, that's not a good place to be. So, why are we waiting? Why not right now? And if you're in that position that's the pressure, then you need to start getting hold of this stuff now and start b- taking steps of faith to overcome and to have victory over it. But it's not the easiest place to be in to be able to start studying in the midst of a test, is it? No, it's not. So we've got to recognize the, the, what God's wanting to do. In Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as they did in the past. Don't harden your hearts. Look at verse um, 10. He goes, I was angry with this generation. They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. See, the only reason why we go off doing our own thing is we don't know the way God does things. We need to learn the way God does things. I don't want to learn the way someone else thinks God does it. I want to know what God says, how he does it. Remember in Jeremiah, he says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. And then he defines it. I love that. That is one of the best scriptures in the Bible. I know the thoughts I think toward you. I have thoughts thoughts of hope, a future. I have thoughts of more than enough. I have thoughts of success for you. That's what God says. He says, listen, this is how I think toward you. It's, It's beautiful because I don't have to guess how God's thinking. Even if I think God's mad at me, even in the anger, I know he's trying to figure out a way, not trying to figure out, but is the way I'm, I'm communicating is, is he's working out a way to make things better in my life because that's how he thinks towards me. Isn't that how a parent should respond to their children? Should a parent get upset with their child because they did something wrong and stay upset and prophesy their future to be a failure? Is that the way we should react? Should we go after that child and say, Oh, how dare you, what you did was terrible. You rotten, no good child, which will never learn a thing. Is that how we're respond? Because I know parents respond that way. Or are we to say that was not a good thing to do? And now, as a parent, figure out a way to overcome and have success in the future. That's successful parenting. But that's how God is. So when we view God in the right way, we're not looking at God as as so mad and so angry and looking for a way to get rid of us. Why? Because I know the thoughts I think toward you. God just said, this is how I think. My thoughts are a future and a hope. So when I am doing something negative, when something isn't working out the way I thought it should have, and I'm in a mess... Or if I'm in a storm and the boat's rocking, God's going to go, come on now, where's your faith? But he's always going to be doing something to get me to the other side. Always. Just as Jesus did, he's always going to fulfill his word. He didn't say, oh, how dare, where's your faith? And throw them all off the boat. Don't worry, you guys. I don't need you. I can do it. And go to the other side. No, he calms the storm. He, He rebukes the people. He rebukes after the storm's calm. We're thinking that in the midst of this, and things are going terrible. Oh, my gosh, Lord. We think God's going, that's right. You deserve it. You're no good fool. We think he's rebuking us in the storm. That is not God. That's what we've been trained. We're trained to believe that this way God is. And I'm telling you, it is not God. It's not God. It's not God. It's not God. He's going to get it. You gonna hold that boat steady it up, and then he's going to start talking to you. Why? You can't listen when you're going, ah, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die. You can't listen. How am I going to make it? I can't pay my bills. I can't feed my children. Oh, how am I going to do it? I'm sick. I can't afford it. I can't do this. I can't do that. You think God's going to be talking? No, he's going to calm, calm, calm. But he's going to talk to you. He's going to talk to you. So I relate to God in a biblical way. I haven't always done this, but I do now. And I'm telling you right, it's better to talk to God when everything's calm than when you're going, oh, God. Because it don't work that way. He will take care of it. But I also know now, not before, but I know now that when he calms the storm and he says, now, Dan, you didn't do it right this time. Now, you heard me. I said, you need to do it this way. Now, let's get this thing together. Now, let's take you over to the other side. And he get me to the other side. Now, you look at it and go, go, well, I don't know. Is that fair? I mean, that's God. His whole, God's heart isn't to, create a failure or to have you fail. What good is that? His heart is through his son. And his son was victorious, and that's what he expects of you. See, when you get your viewpoint, instead of getting it all, um, you know, you got that double vision, and you got to bring that vision together, you're looking for binoculars and ones off. And it looks all weird and one's looking right. And then when you get that thing adjusted right, everything comes into focus. You ever seen that? Well, see, what happens is is in life, a lot of us are looking in that manner. And what God's wanting to do is trying to bring it into one focus, one good view. And when he's able to bring it in there, then we're able to go and do what he's called us to do. We're able to impact. We're able to do the things that God's planned for our lives, this life of success. But we've got to understand that God's for us, not against us. I mean, again, his whole attitude is trying to get us to proclaim and be what? Christ. So when we're looking at ourselves blurred instead of one in Christ, our vision's wrong. And when God looks at you, he's looking at one, one body, many members. He's looking at Jesus, the head, and then he sees you. No one recognizes people just by body. We recognize by the face, right? Isn't that true? We're recognized by the face. If we laid everybody down here, dressed everybody exactly in the same clothing and then we covered their head and then went and said okay pick out who 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 is who only those that really knew that person very well could probably get close to that they might even miss it because there might be someone that's close in, in, in size or whatever but everybody lays there doesn't move doesn't do anything we're just same. You're, you. It, it's going to be very very difficult to do anything But when you show the face, you pick the person out, right? So we're really known by the head. And you are known by the head. And that head is Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So when God looks at you, he's not looking at the arm and going, man, what a screwed up arm. He's looking at the head all the time. All the time he's looking at the head. Of course he thinks good thoughts. He sees Jesus. So when he's looking at you, he's looking through that blood. He's looking through what Jesus did on the cross. He sees you buried. He sees you risen again. He sees you washed clean and whole. Those are the viewpoints that you need to bring in and focus in, and that will give you the right picture of God. And that's how we all should be looking. How can you not focus that way and see in God's word all the things that he wants to do for you. I mean, it's just amazing. I can't see how you've got the proclamation of God's blessing and everything he wants to do, and he's viewing you in a negative way. It just doesn't make sense. But when he's viewing you through Christ, which the word says, it makes perfect sense now. So now you need to understand that for us to enter into this place of of not striving, not trying to make things happen. Relying on God's word. Relying on God's ability to give you wisdom. To deal with the situations every day in life that you deal with. Trusting him. If some of you would quit trying to always do it your way and, and get to a place where you go, okay, God, I, I need your wisdom on this. I need help in this area. I'm telling you, he's going to give you advice and direction and it's going to be perfect perfect he wants to be in your life every single day then in that recognition of him in your life every day I'm telling you you're going to see some things happen and see the road of life become straighter and more successful than you've ever seen it before I'm if you can believe this you're going to see some transformation happen in your life. Why are we not, the majority, experiencing what God proclaimed in the beginning of this year, showers of blessings? Just a few. And we're in June already. Why is that? God's fault? I don't think so. See, you've got to get to a place where you believe. And you are not going to be motivated or diverted from anything other than what God has spoken to your life. And I believe that every single, I don't even believe you have to even be in this church. I believe every single person that believes that this year is the showers of blessings on their life. If they get hold of that and they proclaim that in their life, I believe that God will do it in their life just as he said. I believe God's faithful to his word to perform it. And this is what God does. He's awesome about this. All he wanted to do with, the, with Israel is get them to a place of having everything imaginable that they could ever want or need. That's what God wanted. I ch- read Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 12 when you get home. Just read it and, and listen to what's being said. Pay attention to the communication that Moses is telling the people of Israel. It's an amazing thing because, again, it's such an emphasis on God's will to bless his people. It's, it's awesome. And that's what, what God wants for you. You know, listen, you get hard-hearted. Some of you hear this stuff and you've been beat around so much over life. And the sad thing about it is, is is, quite a few of you, you've been Christians for a long time, and you're still living life alack. So you become some of the hardest-hearted people just because of your experience, not because of what God's Word says, but because you define your life based upon your experience. And that's not the right thing to do. You always define it by what God's Word says, no matter what. It doesn't matter What you're experiencing and what you're feeling, you got to define it by what God's word says. If I stand up here and I'm coughing and I'm I got "Eh, preaching the word today, my whole focus is, is I know what God's Word says for me, and I know what God's Word has done for me. I am the healed of the Lord. I walk in health. I am whole. I am healed. Period. But what do you see? What do you hear? It doesn't matter. Same as your life. What do you see? What do you hear? Well, it's, it's going to be based upon your experiences. And what you've seen and what you hear heard isn't lining up with God's word. What's your responsibility? Yeah. To accept the word of God. You need to. Because if you don't, you're going to go into a battle that's beyond what man can do. Then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? Oh, start trusting God now. I'm telling you, you, you can't live a life this way. Now's the time. Right now. Right now is the time. Praise God. Well, first and foremost, maturity will never be given to you. You have to walk it. It can't be given to you. But you need to also understand this, that there are times when you become in a position that's so traumatic and so destructive in your life that you you can't get out of it on your own. Well, God's created a way for you to be helped to be able to get out and then to be able to grow and mature. Praise God for that. Amen. The Bible says to, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. And they will prayer the prayer of faith. They'll anoint with oil. And that prayer, that belief, will heal the sick. Now, God's word says that we ought not to be sick. But see, even in the word of God, he gives you a place that says, if you get caught in a position where you should be, but you're not in what the word of God says you should be walking in health, but you're not, then he makes a way for those to come around and help you out of the situation you're in, to help you out of the storm, to help you out of. So everything God does is to help you, even when we're in a place and we're in a lot of trouble. He's going to help you. It's the will of God. It's how God operates. He's a loving God. Mark chapter 6. Scripture is very clear on why they could not enter in the promised land. It was because of unbelief. Purely unbelief. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus, it shows us, Jesus, when he went into his own country, around his own family, relatives, it says, Now, Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief was so powerful that it stopped the power of God. Now, what was the will of God? Jesus wanted to do a mighty work there. He wanted to... Do a mighty work. Unbelief, the power of it, stopped the ability to Jesus to bring a mighty work there. What was the will of God? To do a mighty work there. What was the will of God? To do a mighty work there. What stopped the mighty work? The power of unbelief. What was the will of God? to do a mighty work. Jesus went to do a mighty work there. He could not do miracles, signs, and wonders. He could not do what man was capable of doing, all right? It was not capable of doing. Signs, wonders, miracles, God's power in that manner is for something that we have no ability to do on our own. And that's what God wanted to do. It was stopped by the power of, I don't believe. See, I believe as a Christian, the power of God is always gravitating toward you, and your belief or unbelief allows that power to enter into your life. I believe it's not based upon God going, let me see, should I do it or not? I believe it's already been unloosed, I mean loosed into our lives. I believe the power of God is in this room. I believe everywhere I go, the power of God, the ability to do mighty signs and wonders, everything available for my success in life is already wrapped around this area. But in my life, I'm either going to hold it back by unbelief or I'm going to allow it in by belief. Remember, faith is a life. It's life. It's not just one action. It's life. Faith is believing. Pastúlio, it's believing. It's I believe. It shows my mind filled with fullness of confidence in what God's word says. Unbelief opens the door for double-mindedness. My mind is opened up to different thoughts of failure, lack, not sure, will this happen? If you look at what the Scripture says, God said in the very first action that he did to help Israel when they were delivered, they came to a place where they were hungry. They threw a fit. We're hungry. It was not God answering that prayer with an attitude of how dare you question me because this is the first time. He said, I'm going to feed them, and by me feeding them, they are going to know that I am their Lord. The word know is is not a process, but it's based upon a physical action that produces a knowledge of something. So he said, once I do this, they will know. So now, what has he just said? He said, from that point on, there's no excuse. That was what God did. God God didn't go, those rotten, no good kids. Now look what I've already done. I've already delivered them. I've already taken them across the Red Sea. And and he did do that. But that was the group being delivered. The thing is now is each person is dealing with a physical need. So now God says, okay, I'm going to do something that's going to meet that need and they will know I am their Lord. And that was the first time. That was the first time God did something. Each person take care of their needs. Also, in that He he instituted a beautiful picture of how we should be living. On the sixth day, you should gather double. On the seventh day, you don't need to concern yourselves. Sixth day, you gather double. Seventh day, you don't have to concern yourselves. I will meet your need for the day of rest. That's what he told Israel. He, said, he got upset because some went out Sunday looking for food because they didn't do double. They just you know ate enough, and then Sunday they got up and go, where's the food, where's the food? And, and Moses goes, dude, there's no food. You were supposed to get double on, on, on the sixth day. You're looking for food, you're not going to find it. And God, God said, listen, Pay attention to what I'm saying. I'm I'm giving you double, more than enough, so that you can rest on the seventh. He wants us to enter into Sabbath rest. What does that mean? He's given us more than enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that God gave you enough for yesterday and you have to make sure that you save some for the next day. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God said, We live in the seventh day. We are living in the seventh day. What does that mean? We were given more than enough. We have more than enough to meet our needs in this life right now. So God said, here, let me prove myself. I'm going to show you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. And from that point on, then the action of God was different because now when they contended with him, and that's what the Bible said, they contended with him, Literally, it is not a position of, Lord, how come you didn't get us any water right now when you should have? See, that's not contention. That's asking a legitimate question. We're thirsty right now. You take care of our needs. Where's our water? That's a legitimate question. Wouldn't you guys agree? You're going through the desert. You're getting pretty thirsty now. There's no water to be found. You go to Moses and you say, Moses, you be talking for God. Now, God told us back here when we've been eating this manna stuff that we will have our needs met. I'm thirsty. My my kids are thirsty. My my sheep are thirsty. Now, God said that he'll meet our needs. Now, Moses, we need this taken care of right now. God said he'll meet our needs, so let's, let's get it done. That's the right response. That's the right action of a covenant person. This should be mine. It belongs to me. Now you find out what's going on. You talking to God, you hanging out with them? I'm going to put it on you. What's going on, Moses? Where's our water? But you know what they did? They murmured and backbite. They went amongst each other, and they attacked one another with their words. Look at this. Look at where we're living now. How dare we were in Egypt. We had this. And they went and they stirred things up. Then they went to Moses in attack mode. The Hebrew language for contention actually can mean physical violence too. So their whole attitude was not, where's our water? Their whole attitude was to come and violently attack Moses who spoke for God. There's no desire to meet need there. There's no desire for a a position of trust in believing God there. It's a total attack against God. And that's what ultimately God said to Moses. He said, listen, they're not attacking you. They're attacking me. This ain't about you, Moses. It's about me. So they came to a place where they started throwing a fit and they contended with Moses and they said, we're going to die. We don't have water. How dare you bring us in this place? It would have been better for us to live in the world. We should have be back in the world. We, should, we still should be slaves. How dare you bring, it out, bring us out here? And Now we're, 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 we're going to thirst to death and you're wrong and you're this. And they're aggressive and they're violent. They are not looking for an answer. They're looking for a fight. You ever met people like that? They don't want an answer, they want to fight. What do you do? You don't argue with them because they don't want an answer. What does God do? He takes care of the issue. He gives them water. If I was God, ain't happening. No way. No, I just say, no, I'm going to kill you and I'll raise your kids myself. You all dead. You all gonna die. Now, come on, you guys, if you were God, you'd do the same thing. you get all aggressive and all, you know, you'll get in my face, I'll get in your face. Actually, let me have 20 of you. I'll show you what I can do. And i just tie you guys up in pretzels. There, look at the pretzels. Human pretzels, that's what you want. But see, I'm not God though. Amen? Hey. Come on now. God's amazing. He takes them to a place of, okay, I'll do it, smacks the, smacks the rock. In the smacking of the rock, it's a picture of Jesus being crucified and that water flows out. What does that mean? Well, they didn't deserve that water, but Jesus was given to them anyway, just like we don't deserve that water, do we? Now we didn't deserve the water, the living water, but we get it anyway. And Jesus was crucified, and all the sins of the world, water was washed under this earth. They came at the very end of their crusade, the beginning of it, and now they're close to the end of it. And they came to the same place of needing water, same place. We're thirsty. We're going to die. You, you've been dragging us all around this place, and we're going to die of thirst. How dare you? And Moses now is freaking out. He's doing what I said I would do, and he's getting mad, and he said, all right, God, what are we going to do about this? And God says what he's saying to us. Now it's time to speak to the rock. Now we speak to the rock. So Moses gets his rod, walks out of there. He looks out at them. See, he's already hit the rock once and water flowed. So he's got, you know, that that step in his life right now. And he looks over at these group of people that have been just, there's some frustration because everything he's seen is so opposite of what he's used to seeing in the presence of God. So God told him, you speak to the rock and I'm going to give him water. Moses goes up to that rock, takes his rod, and he goes, listen here, you no-good stiff-necked people. Now it's all about him. You've been messing with me so long, I'm getting really fed up with you. So here's your water, like it's him. Here's your water. And smacks it, bam, 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 and water comes flowing. And the people get their water. And then God says, Moses, come here. I need to talk to you takes on the side he says you're not going into the promised land well how come because I told you to speak to the rock you don't crucify Jesus twice you crucify him once it's all that's needed you can't crucify the Lord twice now you've got to live the life of faith you receive Jesus you receive the living water You don't have to receive them again. Now you have to speak the word of faith in your life. Now you have to live the life of rest. Now you have to enter into the rest. How do I do that? I've got to enter in by recognizing all the work's done. Everything's taken care of. Jesus was crucified, buried, third day rose again. My responsibility is if I get thirsty, I speak to the rock. I don't strike the rock. I don't throw a fit at the rock. I don't whine and cry at the rock. I speak the rock. I say, rock, water, and water will flow. And Moses was supposed to go to the rock and say, water, flow. And the people would have been given all the water, and Moses would have been able to go into the promised land. The picture of our lives today are the same way. We're all trying to crucify Jesus again just in our actions and our disbelief. We've got to start speaking to the rock of need. Amen? He'll meet the need, but we've got to speak to it. In the promised land, you can't strike the rock. Do you understand that? You can't strike it. In the picture of Scripture, you have the high, jagged rock that Moses struck and that was Jesus. The next verse, I mean, the next picture of that rock was a smooth rock. And that's the Hebrew language. The first one was a jagged high rock. The second was a smooth rock. See, in our lives now, we got to talk to the smooth rock. That's Jesus. The jagged one has already been stricken. The jagged one has already been smacked. And the living water has touched all our lives. Now we gotta speak the word. We gotta believe it and speak it, amen? In my uh, page on Facebook, I've mentioned that God gave me this picture of abs abs, A B S. And we gotta work out our abs, and that's actively believing and speaking. Actively believing and speaking. You need to work out every single day your abs. Why? Because at your core. Anybody remember the teaching that um, uh, Pastor Casey Treat did on the core when he was here? He taught on the core. You guys remember that? Okay. Well, some of you do. You need to re-remind yourself or come when we have special speakers. Amen? But he talked about exactly what, you know, what we know about the core. And the core of our whole life determines the strength of our life, the strength of life of our ability to keep ourselves sturdy and strong, the core is very important. When you let the core become weak, the rest of the body is going to become weak. So the core strength is very, very important. The core, again, this part of the body, I've got where the Lord showed me abs. And your abs are very, very important even to your back health. And that's actively believing and speaking because that's faith and that's the core of our life. Amen? Amen. So in the life of rest, we got to actively believe and speak. We're all speaking what we believe. Now we got to line up to God's word. Amen? We're all speaking what we believe. So let's trust the Lord. Let's go out there and start communicating exactly what we desire to happen and what we're believing God to take place in our lives. If you don't, you're going to speak what you believe outside of God's word. You're going to lean to your own understanding, and in all your ways, you're going to acknowledge yourself. And by doing that, you get your same results. Get God in the picture, and it's no longer your same results. It's God's results. People, the path will be a different one than you're on today, unless you've been walking in this way already. The path is going to be different. When you get off one path and onto another, it's going to give, give you a different viewpoint. You're going to see something different than you've seen before. Get off the path that you're walking right now. And I'm telling you, your future is going to change pictures. Stay on this path. The past's going to look the same. We don't want that, amen? Let's speak to the rock. Let's allow that living water to continue to flow in front of us Let's get our needs met. Let's get all the things that God's promised to happen happen. And let's quit cutting life short. Let's quit cutting ourselves short and let's experience everything that God's wanting. Listen, you got to put your hands to the plow. You got to raise a sword. We understand the principle of working. But this ain't about you. All right? It ain't about you. Now, yes, some of you are doing well in life, and some of you are making things happen, but you don't understand. That's small. It's very small than what God wants to do for your life. I remember coming to a place in my own life when I had my own construction company, and I had a choice of either increasing to a place where I was unfamiliar with or staying at what I was familiar with. And my choice was a wrong choice. I stayed what I was more comfortable with and what I was more familiar with, which did not give me the ability to go to the next level, which is fine because ultimately that was not my journey in life. But I, I recognized and I took notice of what happened in my life at that point. Through the years of ministry, I've watched people in business get to a place of having to make decisions that were not what they're used to doing. They had to increase. Increasing usually means that you're going to be backing away and not doing as much work as you did in the in, in the physical area as far as what my my uh, job description entailed. So what that meant is that more people were going to have to be trusted, more people were going to have to be brought on the scene to be able to do something that I, Myself used to always do, which I'm limited at, at what I can do. But when there's a replication of your vision of what you want to accomplish, greater things happen. You go to another level. There's so much more you have to learn to know to be able to get to there, but the the rewards are great. And I watch business after business fail because they Get to the place of increase, and, and they, have to t- they have to pull the trigger. Do something to elevate the pressure of being on top, because you can only get to that one level. Once you start increasing, then you're able to go to a whole different level than you've ever been before. It's not a comfortable place to be, but it's a blessed place to be. Amen? It's a blessed place to be. And I watch people get to that place and back away. And ultimately, what happens? The well dries up. The well dries up. Now, I can't tell you exactly when that place is for you to start doing it, but God can. Wisdom can dictate when you ought to be spreading out more than you are right now. Wisdom wisdom can dictate that just through the process of of following the, the failures and the successes of other people. But there's always tools for us to get to the next level. Why? That's what God wants for your life. Now you might say, well, I don't, have, I, don't, I don't own my own company. I'm not my boss. I work for someone else. It's the same principle. You never establish where you're at as end game. You always recognize the ability to go to the next level of increase. What does that mean? Same exact thing. As if I, owning a business, are bringing other people to bring increase in there, I myself must bring increase in my life that spreads my knowledge and understanding. So if I'm working for someone and I'm limited in one position, the only way I'm gonna to go to the next level is, is what? Bring in information that expands the knowledge I have. And that's how you go to that next level. Always demands more knowledge than what you have. And what does that mean? It means it always brings you a place of being uncomfortable. Why? Because you don't have the answers. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? In society, you know what we're created to do? Make up answers if we don't have them. And You know what we do as Christians? We do just that. So if someone says, well, why are you this way? We make up an answer. Well, how come this is how? We make up an answer. Our world has trained us to be this way. Instead of saying, I don't know, but I believe it ain't going to last this way. The I don't knows don't deal real well with people that are trying to find fault and a reason why you're failing. But the key to your success is to be able to trust God, trust God, trust God. Amen? Let's rest and let's experience everything that he has for us. It's up to us. It's up to us, people. God is wanting to see our lives become so much greater and better than they are right now. I don't want you to leave this building expecting nothing but better than what you have right now. Can you believe with me? That's the question. I'm serious. If you don't make a choice right now, if you personally don't make a choice in your life right now that you're not going to accept, I'm not going to accept where I am, and this is the norm of life. I'm going to start expecting better in every area of my life. Every area. Everybody say every area. All right, let me. Before I stop, I got to make this very clear. It's not about one area. You can't live life that way. That's the way God created it to be lived. It's not about one area. Why? Because if you're looking for one area to get better, you're settling for the rest. Every area, say every area. It cannot be one area. I understand you're focused on one area, and one area is giving you a whole lot of trouble. It's that thorn in the flesh, that one area. If I could just deal with this. No, that's not true. It's a lie. If you do this, I'm telling you this is what's going to happen. Please hear me out because I watch people make bad decisions especially in the area of of relationships, based upon this mindset. If I could just fix this one area, this one area is fixed, everything will be better. No, it won't. Because if you don't deal with these other areas, your vision and your decision is already influenced and warped by this one area. Your assumption is this is the only thing that needs fixed. It's a lie. It's not. This isn't the only area. There's a whole lot of areas that need increased growth and, and greatness in. So do not focus in on one thing. Every area. Say it. Every area. area. Do you see this? Do you hear what I'm saying? Every area. It is simple to go out there and focus in on one thing. This is the one issue. No, it isn't. It's not the one issue. Every area. So when I go out there, this is how you become successful. This is what gives you the ability to dream, to go further than what you're used to. You stay on common, comfortable ground. When you start expanding, you will see things that you didn't see before. In your workplace, you might be going like, it, it, it might be like all you've done is concrete. All you know is concrete. You want to be the best, best concrete. I want to be the greatest in concrete. You're limiting life. Because there's so many other aspects and areas of concrete. But if you just focus in on one area, you lose. God is, I'm telling you about the Spirit of God. He's wanting to get inside of some of you and get you to be creative and see something that you've never seen before. You're going to be creating the iPad in your life. It's already created, but that's just a, you know what I'm saying? It's just an analogy. You're going to create something that's going to be so beneficial and such a blessing because you're looking at life more than just one avenue. You're going to the extreme, which God said, I've come to give life and life extreme. Amen? Amen? Let's do it. Let's do it. Make this confession with me. Say, I am a believer. I I trust trust in the Lord with all my heart. I do not lean to my own understanding, but in all my ways I acknowledge Him. My confession is that all my ways, every way is considered for change, every way is commanded to have increase favor